Welcome back to Read Between the Tracks. I'm Jeff Edelstein, and this is our third episode. With me is Caitlin Cromley, and we're taking a look at one of our favorite albums of all time, one of the greatest breakup albums of all time, Fleetwood Mac's Rumors. I was introduced to this album at a very young age. I think I was maybe three or four when the dance album came out. This was Fleetwood Mac's reunification concert album. My mother must have played that cassette tape nonstop when that came out. And I learned many tracks from this album, including Dreams, The Chain, Go Your Own Way. And I would fall in love with those tracks over and over again until in college where I had an impromptu one-time performance of a band called Fleetwood Quack. It was such a good band and it was one night only <laughs> and in in the other end which was rest in peace the other end all also shortened to toe like little hangout spot that served nachos underneath the English department building. It was it I'm so sad that they ended up closing that place down and we didn't even get to see it reopen for our senior year but that yeah. was it was like a little coffee house in the basement of the English department and that's where you had your one night only performance of the Fleetwood Quack Fleetwood Mac cover band and I have to say I, I think you only did two songs and Abby Brin was our tambourine, our tambourinist. And it was you, uh, Devin Klein and Abby Brin and, and Danny Hunter, formerly Danielle Walker. Yeah. And we did um, Landslide and Go Your Own Way. Yes. And it was it was a beautiful performance. I loved cheering you on in, in the audience. Yeah, that was fun. So. Caitlin, what what is your background with this album? And can you give us a little background about it? Absolutely. So this album is very, very near and dear to my heart. I have a special relationship with Fleetwood Mac because of my dad. So I got introduced to Fleetwood Mac the same way you did with, with the dance album, which came out in 1997. It is, in my opinion, the most perfect live album that exists. It was the reunion album uh, after Fleetwood Mac had had broken up, and it was a very big deal. Not that I knew it at the time. I was maybe six or seven when the dance came out. But when my parents were separated, my dad would have us every other weekend. And being one of four very young girls at the time, the one way my dad knew how to communicate with us and have fun with us was through music. So... I have very vivid memories of being in the car with my dad and my sisters, with my dad playing the dance over and over and over again. And from there, that's when, as I was getting older and cultivating my own music tastes, I stumbled across Rumors, which is without a doubt Fleetwood Mac's best album. It is also the one... I agree with that. <laughs> right? So, and this album is the reason why I wanted to do this podcast in the first place. It is so fascinating. The stories behind each of the songs are very rich. It's essentially, as Lindsey Buckingham would say, who's the lead guitarist in Fleetwood Mac, he calls it a musical soap opera, which is due to the fact that all of the members of Fleetwood Mac at this point were dating each other married to each other and 
breaking up with each other and all these songs are directed (laughs) at various band members mostly it's uh stevie nicks and lindsey buckingham who were who had dated for about six years at this point and uh had broken up they sing about each other and then there was christine mcvee and john mcvee and they were married and had divorced and christine has a few songs about john mcvee on the album along with some other interspersed um breakup makeup rebound songs so just want to get into a little bit of the history of the band if there's a very very long history also want to recommend a few books to read about Fleetwood Mac if you're interested so Fleetwood Mac began in London in 1967 it was originally founded by Peter Green who was the guitarist drummer Mick Fleetwood and then there was another guitarist named Jeremy Spencer and then John V joined as the bassist. And then there was a third guitarist named Danny Kerwan. And then Christine Perfect, which I think that is the best maiden name ever because she it's eventually perfect. becomes Chris. I know she is perfect, right? It's so funny. So she was the keyboardist and married John McVie, becoming Christine McVie, the woman we all know and love today. And then From there, they were originally branded as a British blues band and scored a few number one hits in the UK. But then the Fleetwood Mac that we all know and love came to be because with Fleetwood Mac being as volatile as it is, lots of band members came and went and they kept trying to replace all these band members. So at one point, it was just really uh, Mick Fleetwood and John McVie and Christy McVie. And then Mick Fleetwood went to America to start kind of scouting studios for a new lead guitarist and found Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks, who were in their own band, cleverly titled <laughs> Buckingham Nicks. And then Mick Fleetwood was like, wow, I would love for you to be our lead guitarist. Can you join? And Lindsay Buckingham, who was madly in love with Stevie Nicks at the time, said essentially, sure, man, I'd love to join. However, I need to take my girlfriend with me and she needs to be a part of the band, too. So if you want me, you got to take her as well. We are a package deal. And Mick Fleetwood said, "Okay." And so now that is the lineup that was on the first Fleetwood Mac album in this iteration. So it's John McVie. Christine McVie, Lindsay Buckingham, Stevie Nicks, and Mick Fleetwood. And they release their first album together, cleverly titled Fleetwood Mac, which has a few of the songs that have made them very, very popular and essentially launched them into the this very, very popular band, not just in the UK, but essentially internationally, which includes songs like Say You Love Me, Rhiannon, Landslide, and I'm so afraid. And then they had to somehow conquer the sophomore slump. And at this point when rumors started was when everybody started breaking up. So it seems this band is a little cursed. But that is the atmosphere in which rumors begins. And um, just for some quick background, some books that I read and perused through include Fleetwood Mac, The Definitive History. I would say that's the closest 
to a really good, solid Fleetwood Mac biography. The only person in Fleetwood Mac who's written a book is Mick Fleetwood, and it's his autobiography called Play On. And I, I, I don't know about you, Jeffrey, but I would love to have Stevie Nicks do an autobiography. Like I know, yeah, I think she will at some point. She, she's played around with the idea, but I know I've read that she has kept journals like every day that she's been in Fleetwood Mac. And I, the things I, I would kill to read her journals. I, she's, she's such a brilliant person. I, I love Stevie Nicks. So Fleetwood Mac: The Definitive History is a really good one. I also read Ken Calais' book, which is more on the technical side of recording. Um, For those who don't know, Colby Calais is his daughter. And uh, Ken Calais essentially helped record rumors and wrote a book about it. And those are like the two main ones. Unfortunately, as I said, there's no real definitive book to go to. But Jeffrey and I also watched... In preparation of this episode, we watched the VH1 Classic Albums documentary, which also goes track by track. And they interview all of the members of Fleetwood Mac, as well as Ken Calais and a couple other people that were involved um, with the recording of Rumors. So, Jeffrey, do you want to dive into Secondhand News, which is how we open the Rumors album? You got it. So yeah, Secondhand News, our first opener. So this song is a really bright opener. It also really sets the standard. The first two lyrics are, I know there's nothing to say. Someone has taken my place. When times go bad, when times go rough, won't you lay me down in the tall grass and let me do my stuff? It's such a great opening line, and it sets the tone, as you said, for the entire album. It's also, I think, the ode it's like an ode to rebounds (laughs) it's an absolutely it's an ode to rebounds and this one is written by lindsey buckingham and it's sung primarily by lindsey buckingham and this is semi-directed at stevie nicks and one of the things that he noted in the vh1 documentary which i thought was so interesting is that he did kind of a nod to jive talking by the Bee Gees, which once I heard that, you can't unhear it. It really does have that kind of disco feel, especially with that bounce, 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 which he had said that he was at first doing on the guitar, but then felt that it was better to be done with his voice and kind of gives it that very upbeat, jaunty, casual shrug off tone that the song has right and it's kind of like he's showing that he doesn't care that much or he's trying to shrug it off he's trying to be cool with it when he's talking about his breakup with stevie nicks yes especially the line i ain't gonna miss you when you go which is so ironic one of the things that that stevie nicks has said throughout this album through years later when she talks about Lindsay in interviews is that she always approached speaking to Lindsay in these songs in this very this very nice polite way and Lindsay always had the biting angry angsty sexual too yes like f you kiss off songs not that stevie doesn't have her own digs because we will get to her digs she has some good ones but Lindsay is very aggressive 
and not even passive aggressive. It's very in your face aggressive. And keep in mind that one of one of the things that fascinates me about this album is that Stevie Nicks has to harmonize on these songs. They they're they're in this tiny booth crammed in together and looking at each other singing these lines. So she has to sing with Lindsay about him moving on from her and sleeping with other women. And they have to continue to be professional and try and make this album. The other twist that I like in the song is first three. We have I ain't gonna miss you when you go. Been down so long. I've been tossed around enough. Oh, couldn't you just let me go down and do my stuff? So there's this twist that we see in the whole album where we have this anger, frustration with the relationships. But then we have this like, but wait a minute, I actually still want to do this. Just let me do it. And there's this theme pervasive throughout the album of you won't let me love you. We'll see it in, in oh, a few other gosh. tracks. That's that's the main if if we were to summarize the message of all the songs of Lindsay and Stevie speaking to one another, it's I wanna love you and you won't let me. And what a shame. <laughs> so yeah. so yeah. I actually took that as more of a you've been so cruel to me, you've you know, put me through the ringer. Just let me move on. Just let me do my thing and let me rebound with these other conquests that I have my eye on. That's that's how I took that lyric. But that's another great interpretation of it, I think. Absolutely. And let's hear one of Stevie's answers in Dreams, the second track. Everyone knows the song. Everyone knows the song. It It became viral again last year during the pandemic when it went viral on TikTok where that that guy was essentially skateboarding while drinking cranberry juice and, and listening to this song, which is a vibe. I can understand that vibe. But so so Stevie has always said about this song, it's definitely about Lindsay and it is about their breakup. But she always said about this song that she wanted to always put in a silver lining of hope. And this is this definitely has that sort of wistful optimism but again there are some very subtle digs and if you're not looking close enough i think you you miss it but it has this very philosophical tone she's trying to process it and the underlying message of dreams is kind of like this go ahead do what you want but in the end you're going to be haunted by loneliness and the love that we had because you're never going to do better than me (laughs) which is great and it's a very sarcastic song too those first couple lines is again solid such a solid opener and and sets a great tone so you have Lindsay starting out being like f you i'm sleeping with all these women now let me go and do my thing now that i'm not with you and immediately the the first time you hear stevie nicks it's this quiet now here you go again you say you want your freedom well who am i to keep you down which is wow it's right that is if that's not like a kiss off i don't know what is and i know you can interpret it it's just like you know like who am i to keep you down like i don't i don't want to keep you down i love you but i also think it's this it's sarcasm i really really do i think it's sarcasm the next two lines are this ominous warning it's only right that you should play the way you feel it 
but listen carefully to the sound of your loneliness. Like a harpy drives, drives you mad. Oh. In the stillness of remembering what you had. Oh my god. And what you lost. And what you lost. And what you lost. Repeated three times. Like a haunting echo. This song reads to me like a poem. Like all of the songs written by, by Stevie on this album read like poetry. Especially I, I love those lines. In, in the stillness of remembering what you had and what you lost and what you had and what you lost. There is that repeating sentiment. And as you get deeper into the song, you start to get the witchy vibe that Stevie is known right. for. It does have that I wish you well, but it's also I wish you well. However, I'm going to sit back with my popcorn and, and watch you be sad and lonely because you'll you'll never be happy because you're not with me. And do, you, do we want to talk about that, that those very famous lines that start with thunder only happens when it's when it's raining? Which, oh, my God. It's it's just so. So it's it goes thunder always happens when it's raining. Players only love you when they're playing. They say women, they will come and they will go. And then that last line, when the rain washes you clean, you'll know, which I get so emotional thinking of that last couplet because Stevie Nicks said about this in an interview that I had read that Apparently, those last two lines are based on this Native American belief that, like, when someone dies and it rains, that's their spirit being set free, which, oh my god, isn't that such a beautiful sentiment? That's such a beautiful it sentiment. It is beautiful. Even, even with these little digs that she's giving, which there are, as I said, very subtle digs, there's still that last wish of when, when the rain washes you clean, like it's this baptism, this rebirth and, you know, cleansing of sins, cleansing, just just this beautiful imagery. It's just such a pure sentiment that really, really shines through. And I can completely understand why Stevie Nicks said that this was her silver lining of hope throughout the breakup. The other thing that I want to just, like bring attention to is like this comparison between thunder only happening when it's raining, like this impossible to control force. Right. And that being compared to players only loving you when they're playing. It's basically saying this is an impossible force. You're making it seem like it's impossible to control yourself. And you'll only know that when you're, cleansed by the rain or when you're cleansed by the reality when you're cleansed by listening carefully to your loneliness right and again i just wanted to emphasize that that was probably the closest we'll get to like the real the real dig which is players uh only love you when they're playing because first of all like in the most literal sense lindsey buckingham is a guitarist he plays the guitar so there's that and then there was also that reference to playing at the beginning of the song as well that also also another dig so there's playing the guitar but also being a player so and playing the field and playing the field exactly did you want to go into the the crystal vision part of the song cuz again she brings in the witchy the witchy vibes and kind of predicts this sorrowful lonely life 
for Lindsay, but she's going to keep it to herself and just just let him dig his own grave, which is brilliant. I think it's also worth noting that she wrote the song like in 10 minutes. She did. She, she did. wrote the song without even thinking about it, really. Um, while other people were like recording, she wrote this. Right. And I think she she was alone in in like the one of the rooms at the recording studio and she, she was she, sitting on flystone's bed like this beautiful elegant four poster bed yeah it's great let's take a look at the next track never go back again so we have lindsay is the first song like lindsay to stevie then you have stevie's response in dreams and then now <laughs> we go from this beautiful poetic sentiment and then we have Lindsay being like, I'm never coming back to you because I'm still I'm still having fun. I've I've found somebody now to to love who is not you. And it's it's I just love the transition from dreams to this, which the title literally says I'm never going back again. And right. quick note on the technique, talking to a few guitarists and, and reading about this song the the finger picking on this song is notoriously difficult to learn. So I again like just Lindsey Buckingham is an amazing guitarist and this this song is really just about finding love again after a tumultuous relationship which was with with Stevie and he says essentially it, it opens up with uh, she broke down and let me in help me see where I've been. So this this woman, this new woman who just so happens to be, I believe, Carol Ann Harris, who Lindsay Buckingham not only dates during the rumors era, but also for six plus years after. But essentially, this woman helps him move on when, when he wasn't able to move on before and helps him see what a healthy relationship is, at least in his mind. And... I, I've been down one time. I've been down two times. Never going back again. <laughs> I go sad. I know it's not sad, but like going from dreams, the rain washes you clean to I'm never going <laughs> back again. is <laughs> just so yeah. sad. And he kind of yells the chorus. Like yes. he really projects on this song. And it, it's very simple. It is. The lyrics and his vocals. But the guitar is so intricate and complicated. He's sort of contrasting what he's willing to say and what he's not willing to say, with only just the guitar doing what he's willing to feel. Right. And then we go from never going back again, which we have all this back and forth. The first three tracks are essentially a conversation between Lindsay and Stevie. And then we go to Don't Stop, the most optimistic track on this album. It is the nicest, kindest track on this album. And this song was written by Christine McVeigh to her now ex-husband, John McVeigh. They had separated at this point during, during rumors. And it's literally a message of optimism, of kindness, and a plea to keep moving forward even when you don't want to. And I, I know there was obviously resentment and what have you in the divorce, but Christine McPhee is probably the nicest. 
Yes. In terms of how, how she speaks about John McVie in these songs and definitely has a more optimistic outlook on how they can continue and how they can have a some semblance of a relationship after their divorce. Just an, one moment to acknowledge, according to Stevie Nicks, in an interview in Rolling Stone, she said that Christine McVie had the most hits out of any of them in the band, that she wrote the most hits. That's interesting. Which I think is interesting. This is a definite one of those hits. Like This is definitely like one of the biggest hits that they had. And not for nothing, I will say for someone who has struggled with depression, this is such a great song for self-care. If you're feeling really, really down. Yeah, it's an uplifting song. It is. It really is. And if you wake up and don't want to smile, if it takes a little while, open your eyes, look at the day, you'll see things in a different way. It's just this beautiful sentiment. And again, <laughs> coming out of a divorce and being able to say this, I that's I really admire Christy McVie for for this. And as I, as I said, she openly says that this song was her her message to to John McVeigh. An- another couple lines I wanted to focus on. Why not think about times to come and not about the things that you've done? If your life was bad to you, just think what tomorrow will do. Just, again, that, that plea to keep going, plea to move on. And it closes out with, don't you look back, don't you look back. And that ongoing yesterday's gone, Yesterday's gone and just keep going even when you don't want to. And of course, many people know the song is like Bill Clinton's presidential campaign song. I don't think millennials will know it that way or Xennials or Gen Zers, but this song is anthematic. It really heralds a new day, a turning point. This beautiful idea that like yesterday's gone, the badness or the bad blood of the relationship is gone is is a really optimistic thing and it's worth noting at this point in the conversation that in the vh1 special they all said that when they were in the studio they focused on the music and not each other they had this agreement that they were going to focus on getting the music done yeah and i think this song and a later song we'll talk about really embody that idea that we got to put everything behind us so we can record and be successful musicians because the music is what we care about. I mean, not for nothing. I still had screaming matches. and That's definitely true. And did a lot of cocaine, which did not did not help matters. But that that was something they kept emphasizing. But also there's this underlying incredulousness that they did not break up or stop recording or or anything like that. And I've read in numerous interviews, it was almost like therapy where they were able to say things to each other in these songs that they would not be able to say to each other other. in quote unquote real life. That's crazy cool. It is. Also, the song is a banger. This don't stop is a banger. It's a banger. I was waiting for I was waiting for you to say banger at some point, but yes, it is a banger. I love calling out a banger. Moving on to another banger. Oh my god. Go your own way has such a good opening. It's so powerful. 
it's so resentful and so frustrating and so angry. Loving you isn't the right thing to do. How can I ever change things that I feel? If I could, maybe, maybe I'd give you my world. How can I, when you won't take it from me? I have chills. You can go your own way. Call it another lonely day. <laughs> so you have the beautiful, wistful dreams that, that Stevie yeah. gives to Lindsay as her parting gift. Like, all right, we're broken up, but here and here you go. Like, very polite. Then you have Lindsay's response to Stevie's Nick's dreams. And it's very bitter and very angry. And just going to go immediately to the gut punch of this song, which is... Tell me why everything turned around. Packing up, shacking up's all you want to do. Oh my God. Oh my God. That is the ultimate dig at Stevie. Because at this point, they're broken up and they're both now like sleeping with other people. They're rebounding with other people. So he's essentially saying to her, like, you'd rather sleep with other men than like be with me. And if I could, like, if I could, I would give you my world. And I don't know if it's positive or negative. I kind of read it as a negative that open up. Everything's waiting for you, <laughs> which is, has like an underlying optimistic sentiment. But right after saying packing up, checking up's all you want to do. I don't really know if I can read that as optimistic. I wouldn't say it's optimistic. He's telling her to go her own way. I know, I know, but like there, it's that weird little, just the idea of open up, everything's waiting for you. It's kind of like there's a big, wide world for you out there to experience without me, and you should <laughs> go your own way. Packing up, shacking up's all you want to do. Pissed Stevie Nicks off to no end. I mean, who wouldn't who hate wouldn't that? Who wouldn't hate that line like when your ex-boyfriend is singing that to thousands of people in front of you and airing out your dirty laundry to live audiences and, you know, sending this out into the world for everyone to hear. And she said in an interview that she would essentially want to kill him anytime she had, she had to sing those those lines. I just think that is so cunning. Like, that's so cunning that you, as a band, you're you're airing your dirty laundry and you know your ex-girlfriend is going to have to sing this. And he is, like, that bitter and vengeful that he's just like, all right, you know what? <laughs> Here's another F you. You're going to have to sing about how all you want to do is sleep with other men instead of be with me. And I think she said at one point, which I don't know if she's trying to paint herself in a a better light or or whatever but she was like he knew that was not true he just wanted to be an asshole essentially yeah i mean he really sticks it to her in that yes even though this is a banger and it's a great great banger, such a banger hashtag banger and then we transition to songbird which is a completely different flavor completely different musically completely different sentimentally has a really different tone. It's like a break from all this anger in the first half of the album. It really is. And I just wanted to say, I didn't get to say this earlier, that this being side one, I wish that this side was actually side two and that we end 
rumors with Songbird because it's just Christine McVie and the piano. And again, she is probably the most optimistic, at least in song on this album. And it's this pure sentiment of letting go. That's how I view it. Like letting go and moving on. I love you. I love you. I love you. Like never before. It's just this really great closer. I wish that's how the album ends, but it's how it ends side one, which is fine. And it's beautifully comforting. It really is. For you, there'll be no more crying. For you, the sun will be shining. And I feel that when I'm with you, it's all right. I know it's right. Uh, And the way she sings it, the way the piano echoes her intent, it's like a lullaby. It's a reassurance. Each verse ends with, it's all right. I know it's right. Can can we also get to like the other gut punch of this song, which is I wish you all the love in the world. And most of all, I wish it from myself. Wow. I like get so emotional hearing that line. And for a quick background, I was so blessed back in college when Fleetwood Mac <laughs> reunited in this lineup for, I think, one of the last times I was able to see them at Madison Square Garden. And at one point, the rest of the band members left the stage and, you know, Christine McVie sits down at this giant grand piano, spotlights on her and sings this song and absolute silence. Like, imagine Madison Square Garden just in absolute silence with just her and this piano singing this beautifully comforting optimistic song you you, i could hear sniffles all around me i was getting teary myself and they they describe in the vh1 album rumors documentary that it was essentially the same vibe they were they recorded at a separate studio i believe at berkeley or near berkeley and it was just her on the stage and john McVie said there was not a dry eye in the house when she performed it and it and it sounds like a one take bare room she did get it in one take in that documentary they did it in the theater at berkeley college or berkeley university she did that live and they recorded it and acoustics are great on it and that's theoretically where rumors should end but we (laughs) we have one whole side Side B on the original vinyl is where the real, like, magic happens. It really is. It's where we get into the real nitty-gritty. If you thought things were heated on side one, side two gets a lot more heated. So that side starts with The Chain, which is a legend song. It's an incredible song. It's the only one that has every member of Fleetwood Mac credited. It's the only song in their discography where all of them are credited. Usually it's Lindsey Buckingham, Stevie Nicks, or Christine McVie are credited. But then they are all, including John McVie and McFleetwood, because they all kind of contributed to it. They did. And Jeffrey, I I really do wish that this was the opener to Rumors. I mean, I like secondhand news. And again, I think that first line sets a great tone for the album. But I would have loved to put my vinyl on the record player and 
needle drops. And then a few seconds later, you hear that listen to the wind blow, watch the sunrise, which is this is such an eerie and ominous song. And as you said, it's it, it has this Frankenstein-esque quality because they touch upon in the VH1 documentary that these lyrics were written by Stevie pre-rumors, which I find interesting because it has this almost foreboding, almost like a fortune teller, like and speaks about the band. That's what I think this song is really about. I, I think it's about the band trying to stay together while all of this relationship drama is going down. And you have, as you said, these different pieces of like all of these like pr previously rejected materials or songs that really weren't used and just kind of all spliced together. And I think out of all the songs on Rumors, for this to be credited to all five of them, I think is the most appropriate. And throughout this song, you have this feeling of constantly stewing in this anguish it's such raw anguish and these bursts of anger like damn your love damn your lies damn the dark damn the light and then at one point you get to the heart of it which is the finality of if you don't love me now you will never love me again and they're all harmonizing they are that. And I can still hear you saying you would never break the chain. And at one point, like, it feels like Lindsay's almost like howling in pain. You feel it. You feel it as you're listening to the song. It's primal, this song. The beat on that chorus is very steady. It matches the drum beat that Mick Fleetwood is playing. It's really building an intense it, it almost feels like this march to like the death of this relationship i want us to talk about for a little bit the the symbol of the chain because there's so many yes. different ways that you can look at it as i said like i pretty much since i was old enough to start thinking of interpretations of this song as i said i really think this is about the band that no matter what they're going through in their personal relationships. They're just praying that they're going to stay together as a band. Like when I think of like a chain, I think of this really sturdy, you pull on a chain, it's not going to break unless you have a lot of like pressure and heat and all these outside elements like applied to it. Like it's, it's a symbol of strength, which is supposed to speak to the bond that's in this song. But when you also think of chains, like you think of shackles you think of baggage, imprisonment. So you can kind of see both sides of that where clearly the speaker of this song is struggling with this tumultuous relationship. As I said, it's they're running in the shadows. Like there's this shadiness, there's this darkness. You have both sides of the coin in the relationship in which they're damning. Damn your love. Damn your lies. Like I don't want either of those things. Yeah. Damn the dark, damn the light. And did you want to touch upon anything else about how you see the chain? Yeah, I always thought of it as a relationship. Like a chain is like just two people holding each other together. Okay. And from like the time I was a little kid, I imagined this as like people holding each other in a storm. 
because the song is very much about like how you have to hold yourselves together to create the chain and then other people join you so if you make a human chain it's your arms linking with other people's arms but you have to be strong enough to hold on to other people and this song is about how the love is not there to make you strong when the chain breaks that's our outro right that's our chain keep oh us together God. this begging to be strong enough to hold each other together run in the shadow running in the shadow we're all lost we're all lost in the shadow we're all running away from each other running into the shadow we're not we can't hold it together we can't be together it has like that horror movie-esque quality i really think of it almost like frankenstein the setting in which frankenstein was written like you know so so for those who don't know because you're not english majors or into the, the history of frankenstein the frankenstein novel was written by mary shelley they were essentially on a on a dark and stormy night she was with her husband percy shelley and a few other people at this including lord byron including lord lord byron which has a very sordid history. I'll I'll just leave it at that because we could probably do a bunch of episodes on Lord Byron Lord himself. Byron. But they, they, there was essentially a challenge while they're staying at this creepy old house to write the scariest story. And that's how Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein. But it kind of has that same vibe. You know, listen to the wind blow, watch the sunrise, running in the shadows. Like, it, there's a lot of spooky elements going on and then just to get to the ending that last part feels so much like a plea a prayer a spell chain keep us together it's very primitive it is very primitive it's a very primitive song very primitive elements and then we transition into something completely different i love this song though for a bunch of reasons but this song is You Make Loving Fun. So this song is about Christine McVie and her affair with the band's lighting technician, which is so great. So this is another, I don't want to say rebound song. This is literally Christine McVie finding love and happiness after her divorce from John McVie. And for quick background, even by admission, of John McVie. John McVie was struggling at, at this point with a lot of demons. He had a very bad drinking problem, which was a huge part of why he and Christine McVie broke up. And I don't know about you, but I was so startled when watching the documentary to see him get a little bit choked up talking yeah. about it, even all those years later. And his own admission, he was he was a huge asshole and treated Christy McVie pretty badly. And so immediately starts out, sweet, wonderful you. You make me happy with the things you do. Oh, can it be so? This feeling follows me wherever I go. So she's finally found this little corner of peace in her life after dealing with so much darkness and sadness and her separation from her husband who was not kind to her. Now she finally has something that's healthy and happy. And throughout this song, you have this theme of magic and, and mysticism. You have the reference 
I never did believe in miracles, but I have a feeling it's time to try. And then, um, beautiful. It is so beautiful. And then she goes on to say, I never did believe in the ways of magic. And then there's the reference to don't, don't break the spell. You know, um, it could be different. You know, it will. And you left out the best line there. What? The chorus, the last line of the chorus is, but I'm beginning to wonder why. Yes. I, yep. You're right. You're right. Beautiful, beautiful admission of, I've never really felt in love before. And this is what it feels like. Why am I doubting it? Right. No, that's very it's, true. It's both this like call back to her relationship with John McVeigh, not really like being in love in love. And then this experience feeling like exciting and beautiful and, and causing her to be less skeptic about love. Right. And, you know, going back to John McVeigh for a second, I don't even think she entertains in this song the, the idea of like going back to him because there's that no. there's that one line which I think is the closest we get in this whole album of Christine McVie digging at John McVie, which is I don't have to tell you, but you're the only one to to her to this this new guy she's seeing. So she's literally saying John McVie is in the past. I don't love him. I don't love him anymore. You are the only one for me. You're the only one in my life. You are the one. I love I have moved on with you and it's just such a great song and I just have to laugh because doing research for this podcast I found out that Christine told John that this song was about one of her dogs which I don't yeah. know it's a weird out and he believed her, apparently. And it didn't come out until later after this song was recorded that obviously it's not about one of her dogs. Even if you like look at the lyrics, it's I'm like, how can this possibly be about a dog? I don't know. It's not about a dog. And then because then again, like this the closer of the song, first of all, the song is full of like exultation and relief and yeah. happiness. And then the closing of the song is just repeating. You, you make loving fun. That's all I want to do. Like, all I want to do is sleep with you. All I want to do is fool around with you. All I want to do is be around you. Like, I don't know how anyone can interpret this as being about a dog. About a dog. I just thought that was so funny. I thought that was so funny. It was just to keep the peace and to keep the secret about her affair this with this lighting technician yeah one of their best it's a really fun sexy song it is a fun sexy song and then right after it we have i don't want to know i don't want to know this song replaced silver springs on the album which for if length, I... it was shorter yes for length i can't talk about silver springs right now because i'll just go on a tangent because silver springs is my favorite we'll get song. to it we'll get to it it's the last one we'll talk about but I have to talk about Silver Springs just a little bit for this song because originally Silver Springs was in this slot and then it was it's very long. It's a very long song. And essentially Mick Fleetwood ended up telling Stevie Nicks because Silver Springs was her song that they're taking Silver Springs off the album and they're putting in I Don't Want It Now. And uh, Stevie Nicks was 
absolutely furious about this, which we'll get we'll get to when we get to Silver Springs. And she threw a huge fit and was like, you can't make me record. I don't want to know. And they're like, well, you don't really have a choice. And it was a huge point of contention for a long time. But I don't want to know. She actually ended up saying like if Silver Springs was to be replaced with any song, it would be this one because she actually had a lot of fun recording the harmonies with Lindsay on this one it was it was reminiscent that they said in the vh1 documentary that it was reminiscent of the everly brothers the harmonies on that and i think it felt like her own little moment of happiness and peace like recording this with with Lindsay. and this one has like a touch of optimism not as much optimism i would say as don't stop but because it, it definitely talks about the relationship ending and the mixed feelings that come with it. This is also another song that was written by Stevie, like pre-Fleetwood Mac in the Buckingham Knicks era. So I'm, I'm not really sure. I'm, I'm guessing the only person this could really be directed to is Lindsey Buckingham. It has kind of that the same underlying message and dreams that, like, I hope you can find love and what you need, even if it's not with me. That's that's really what the what the song's about. Yeah, I don't really have much to add. It's a pretty straightforward song. I think we have another moment of, I don't want to know the reasons why love keeps right on walking down the line. It, it, it sort of goes back and forth right on walking down the line. I don't want to stand between you and love, honey. I just want you to feel fine. As if to say, like, I'm not going to stop you from being in love with me or anyone else. But my priority is really like you feeling okay, you feeling good. So it's like this play on pleasure versus relationship. And then we have Oh Daddy. Oh Daddy. If I were to pick any the one song, you don't like. It's I, I yeah, I mean, it's not that I don't like it. Like I I have the rumors album on on vinyl and we have our record player in our house and it's one of my go-to things to play when I have company over. This is the closest I would say this is like background music. I think if I were to cut any song off of Rumors it would be this one. This one for me is the real downer of the album. It's the one that kind of takes the emotional moments from the other parts of the album and gives it some solemnity because it's all about Daddy, oh daddy, you know you make me cry. How can you love me? I don't understand why. It's about the self-loathing that comes with being in a relationship that's torn apart. And I think that's really what this song is trying to convey. That when you're in these topsy-turvy relationships, when you're breaking up and it's taking forever, and you still have to sing with your ex-husband, Right. It can make you feel like you're unworthy of your new love. So it's, it really mirrors you make loving fun. The skepticism or the doubt that we hear in you make loving fun dissolving, we hear that dissolving, is sort of revived in Oh Daddy. So it's so funny that you say that because Christine McVie says, and she says it in the VH1 documentary, that this song is written about Mick Fleetwood, which I think is complete BS. Like, I don't think that at all. Apparently, they called him daddy because he was the only father 
in the group and kind of was the the glue that kept them all together and kind of was like the surrogate father to like the fighting children. <laughs> so Mick Fleetwood, though, was going through his own marital troubles at the time. He was married to Jenny Boyd at the time and they had divorced and he had kids with her. But you read this song and it does not seem like this is dedicated to Mick Fleetwood as like a thank you for being the person that keeps us all together. Because this is written by Christine McVie and it's sung primarily by Christine McVie. I think this is about the, the light tech guy that, yeah, as you said, she doesn't feel worthy of this this new love. And why are you right when I'm so wrong? Why am I weak when you're so strong? Everything you do is just all right, which I think is such an interesting line because, again, you can it goes kind of back to songbird. I feel that when I'm with you, it's all right. I know it's right. And then it's again, kind of the opposite side of the coin where like, I don't feel all right because I don't feel like I'm good enough for you. Yeah. It's a really intense self-loathing. It is. Everything you do is just all right. Like you can interpret that as great as like, and a little bit of a, better than all right but you could also interpret it as you're doing average and i feel worse and then the the outro if there's been a fool around it's got to be me right yes it's got to be me like there's a certainty that the speaker of the song is dooming the relationship that's such a good point that's so true that's that's such a great way to interpret that and it's really sad because you really feel for the speaker like they're so down on themselves. They really don't think they're worthy of love, which again, you just had you make loving fun, which you have that skepticism. But now it seems that that skepticism has turned into like actual doubt. I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can be with you because I'm not I'm not good enough for you. And then we have the real end to the album. We're gonna, we have another song after this, but this is the hard end to the album. Gold Dust Woman, Stevie Nicks wrote. Caitlin, why don't you tell us about the fantasy of this song? <laughs> right off the bat, this is a metaphor for cocaine, everybody. <laughs> Woo-hoo, this is, cocaine. This is the cocaine! This is the cocaine song of the album. If you did not know beforehand, and I know we mentioned this before, Fleetwood Mac did a, a huge amount of cocaine, um, not only during this album... But uh, particularly this album, but like albums to come. And Stevie Nicks ended up actually having a huge cocaine issue, which actually changed like she got a hole in her nose from the amount of cocaine that she was using. I believe that's why her voice changed. I mean, not for nothing. I don't want to dig at Stevie Nicks because I love Stevie Nicks so much. Um, Rock on, Gold Dust Woman, our first line. We got a pun there and we got a sort of like. It's not a rock on, it's a rock on. It's like really relaxed, really chill. It's actually the opposite sensation of cocaine, this song. It's a very smooth, calm song. For for the most part, but then it, it gets into some dark stuff. Like I just wanted to do a quote from Stevie Nicks, which like sums up the song fairly well. She says in the documentary, the VH1 Classic Albums documentary, that it's a symbolic look at somebody going through a bad relationship, doing a lot of drugs, trying to make it. And it's a fiction story. She had, she had seen a lot of people who 
their lives had been ruined by cocaine and she kind of like put this story together about it and it like predicts her own future sadly because she does become addicted to cocaine but th- there's that second line i think you were going to touch upon the the silver spoon that <laughs> digs the grave which again like the cocaine spoon it's just such a great image but it's also an image of wealth it's that because like when people did snuff they use a spoon it's also like the overall message is don't fall for the drug addict because they will take everything from you did she make you cry make you break down, shatter your uh, illusions of love. Tell me, is it over now? Do you know how to pick up the pieces and go home? Now that she's taken everything from you and changed how you look at love, can you move on? And then there's rock on ancient queen. Follow those who pale in your shadow. Rulers make bad lovers. You better put your kingdom up for sale, up for sale. As if saying, if you want to be in love, you have to give up your kingdom of cocaine, your kingdom of rock and roll. She also said about the line, rulers make bad lovers, was a dig at herself. Because she said that because of her position as essentially a rock and roll woman, that she's not a good lover because she made rock and roll her kingdom. Like, her lovers will always come last. So... That's the other interesting thing that the fact that this is the closer, this is really the only song in the album that is a commentary on drugs and fame. Right. Everything else is about like the interpersonal relationships of the band, but this has an overarching theme of what drugs and fame will do to you. And as the song descends, it gets super primal. There's sounds of breaking glass. Like, at one point, like, Stevie is literally howling. It's savage. It's animalistic. And it's just a really eerie ending to to this album. And good thing we have another song. I know. I know. your favorite. One of your favorites. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. So as as we said before, it was cut for time. But it is one of their best songs of all time. It did appear on a single on the B-side of Go Your Own Way, the single. Silver's, I, I would have to say it's my favorite Fleetwood Mac song because even all these years later, after hearing it for the first time, so to call back to the dance for a second before I get into the story of the song again, first time I ever heard Fleetwood Mac was on the dance album. My dad played it in the car when we were little. And even at seven years old, you can hear the anguish and anger in Stevie's voice because I'm sure you've already guessed it. This is a song about her breakup with Lindsay Buckingham. And I still get emotional listening to this song all these years later. I I know I was telling you the other night because the fun part of research is when you get to listen to these albums (laughs) in, in preparation for the podcast. And I was playing this song while I was in the shower and Calvin, my husband, is in the other room and he could hear me like scream singing (laughs) the very emotional parts of Silver Springs. But even as someone who's happily married now, this song for me, I, I listened to this song a lot when I had my first big breakup when I was like 18 or 19. And I used to listen to this song 
a lot on a loop while I was writing about this breakup because as a poet, I write about what I know and that, that was all consuming what I knew at the time. And now that I can kind of talk about that, I want to talk about some of the background of this song and the, the themes that are in this song. So Silver Springs was conceived by Stevie Nicks when uh, the band was driving and they drove under a highway sign that advertised for Silver Spring, Maryland. And Stevie Nicks thought to herself, wow, that sounds like such a beautiful place to live and a beautiful place to be. And it became a symbol and a metaphor for what could have been with her and Lindsay Buckingham, like what kind of life they could have lived together in this utopia of what the ideal would have been, which is Silver Springs, which is the opener. You can be my Silver Springs, blue, green, colors flashing. I could be your only dream, which, oh my God, you're shining on an autumn ocean crashing. Poetry, just pure poetry, poetry which is classic CB Next. But this song ended up being excluded from the album and was a source of anger and tension for many years. I actually believe that later on, this was one of the reasons that Stevie Nicks ended up leaving the band for good up until a certain point when she ended up coming back. But she got into a huge fight with Mick Fleetwood when he kind of broke the news to her that this song was not being included on the album. But I just need to get into some of the lines the one of the most heartbreaking parts is I begin not to love you. Turn around, see me running. I'll say I loved you years ago and tell myself you never loved me. Like, oh my God, Jeffrey. I yeah. I can't. It breaks my heart every time. It breaks my heart every time. So heart-wrenching. It's so heart-wrenching. And... There's also this back and forth because at this point when she had written the song, Lindsay was now seeing Carolyn Harris and she references her in this song, which is, and did you say she was pretty? And did you say that she loves you? Uh, Baby, I don't want to know, which is a weird little callback to that. I don't want to know song, but it's also, I don't want to know that you're happy. Like I'm absolutely devastated right now and then we get into the crux of the song which is time casts a spell on you but you won't forget me oh my god i love this part i know i could have loved you but you would not let me right and we get that theme again these two themes this this like foreboding ominous prediction about loneliness and you not letting me love you which we've seen throughout the album, that this is like someone who is trying, but the other person isn't trying. Or they're both trying in different directions. All she wants is this this utopia, this Silver Springs. like, And this is the result of not having it, is this trying to move on but struggling. There's that denial that you go through in a breakup, like I begin not to love you turn around, see me running. Like I am running from you. I don't want to be anywhere near you. 
I'll say I loved you years ago. Like, no, like that was a long time ago. Like that, that brush off, that kiss off. The way you self-soothe is to tell yourself that they never loved you. Like, oh my God, again, so heart-wrenching. And then as she goes on and keeps saying that that time casts its spell on you, but you won't forget me. I know I could have loved you, but you would not let me. I'll follow you down to the sound of... My voice will haunt you. My voice will haunt you. You'll never get away from the sound of the woman that loved you. Oh my god. And throughout that bridge, you have the background voices are singing, give me just a chance. Was I just a fool? Which as and as the song goes on, you literally hear Stevie Nicks getting upset and angry as she's singing. At one point, like her voice cracks. Right. She cracks on key. Cracks on key, which God bless you, Stevie Nicks. It's just, I love that back and forth. Was I just a fool, which is that anger. And then there's that still that pleading, give me just a chance. There's just so much going on in this song. And it makes me so emotional because this, I think, is the heart of rumors. This is like a huge reason, I think, why speaking about all the different relationships on the album, like a big reason why this album still endures. And it's literally a time capsule that peeks into this really tumultuous time for everybody. But years later on the dance, I encourage you to do this. I did this with my sister, Emily, and this is why she's now obsessed with Lindsay Buckingham and Stevie Nicks. The performance of this song on the dance album is so powerful at one point stevie is not singing to the audience anymore she turns to Lindsay buckingham and starts singing at him and scream singing at him was i just a fool i'll follow you down to the sound of my voice will haunt you you'll never get away from the sound of the woman that loved you so all these years later years after they've broken up he will never, ever be able to escape her. And at this point during the dance, like Lindsay is married and he has children and has moved on and they are frozen in time on stage in, and frozen in their relationship and frozen in their grief. And please look up on YouTube, the dance Silver Springs and watch what is like one of the best moments in music I think you'll ever see of these two people who have been long out of a relationship, you can see the tension, you can see the love, you can see the heartbreak. And again, I was so blessed to be able to see them live. And they did it at Madison Square Garden, singing Silver Springs to each other. And I about, I had a meltdown. It's fine. (laughs) Okay, two questions. Where do you think Silver Springs should go on the album? Let's say this was the CD. And there was enough room for as many songs as you want. Where would you put it on the album? I think in reality, it should go after I Don't Want to Know and replace Oh Daddy. That's where I think it would go. Okay. If you couldn't replace Oh Daddy, where would you put it? I think because side two, it's my favorite side. I, I love side two. Or have that be the closer. For me, I would switch out I Don't Want to Know. I that's think a good answer. I don't want to know is the song that got lucky. Yep, that's and true. 
I would not put Silver Springs where I don't want to know is. I would put it as second to last on the album. That's fair. I love the idea of Songbird being the closer, so I actually think that's a good point. Second to last on the um, side two, I would do it. So I would do Oh Daddy, Silver Springs, Gold Dust Woman. Because I'm all about, when I make a playlist, I like to have a soft ender and then a hard ender. And the soft ender is like the song that gets you ready to leave the album. And then you have a song that helps you say goodbye to the album. Um, and I think Silver Springs is probably the musically strongest song besides The Chain, and I think it's nice to end that way. The Gold Dust Woman's sort of warning about being in relationships and leaving is a really important message. Right. I would also just say that I actually don't hate I Don't Want to Know. I don't think you hate it either, but I like I Don't Want to Know on the album. I completely understand why Stevie Nicks was so mad that <laughs> that replaced Silver Springs, but and it totally did get lucky. But I, I love the idea, especially looking at Silver Springs and how much sadness and anguish and anger there is in that song that she got to have her one moment of peace and happiness recording I Don't Want to Know with Lindsay Buckingham. So... So that's the album. That's Rumors. That's Rumors. Oh, it's such a beautiful album. It's one of my all-time favorites. Thank you so much, Paul Cromley, Dad, for introducing me to Fleetwood Mac and having me uh, start my own little musical journey with them that led me to loving this album as much as I do. So, Jeffrey, do you want to talk about, I guess, the cultural impact that Fleetwood Mac still has today? So, yeah. I mean, Stevie Nicks... Everyone knows Stevie Nicks. She has a big media presence. Fleetwood Mac is known as the definitive breakup band. Like everyone references them when they talk about bands breaking up. And they also talk about breakup songs and breakup albums with Rumors, especially, and Fleetwood Mac. So you can't escape them. They're one of the definitive rock groups that to come out of the 1970s. But if you're interested and you want to listen to more Fleetwood Mac, I highly recommend the Rumors Super Deluxe album, which features the original 2004 remasters, a couple of live tracks from a 1977 performance, so right when this album came out, and then some really interesting deep-cut takes, including acoustics, early takes, drafts a couple of songs that didn't make it onto the album i was gonna say some demos too it's a really interesting album if you love fleetwood mac i would also say that there's been a lot of covers and some of the more famous ones were the cranberries doing go your own way and this is a really good cover top quality cover some covers suck some covers don't capture the essence of the original song and just kind of do like a slower or acoustic version. But Go Your Own Way, the version that the Cranberries does, is so succulent. That's an interesting word. Yeah, it, it really gets the picture. The other one that I find really interesting is Evanescence's cover of The Chain for the Gears of War 5 soundtrack, which, you know... Not a great application of the song, but 
Evanescence, they really captured the song. It's a really, really beautiful version of this song. The other version of the chain that I really love is actually Florence and the Machine doing it. I think they only do it in concerts, but there's actually a taping of it on YouTube that's pretty decent, where Florence Welch lends her voice to the song in such a bewitching way. The last version of a cover that I really want to touch on is Natalie Cole. She did a cover of Oh Daddy. Her voice is so smooth, so sublime. And it's a really just slow down, mournful version of that song. And it's really interesting for her to do it. It's really interesting to listen to. All those covers are on my Spotify playlist. Ah, uh, there it we would go. Quack. You made a Fleetwood Quack playlist. Yeah, I've been working on that one. It's not that finished. There's only a couple on there. I was going to say, so I have a couple covers. I really just have like two covers that stand out to me. I, I, I wasn't sure if you had heard them, but I love Lissy, her cover of Go Your Own Way. Yeah. It's has actually the same ethereal quality that Dreams has, which I thought was a very interesting spin on it. And I also love the High Women's cover of The Chain. Yes, that one's really good. The High Women is like this women's group of all like country superstars. And they they do a very badass version of The Chain, which I think has th that version has been featured in one or two movies. Yeah, they did it for a soundtrack. Yes. Those are my two covers. Because for me, I, I don't know, with, with Fleetwood Mac, it's one of the few times, because I can appreciate covers for the most part, but I feel like nothing, in this case, nothing beats the original. But you can try. Absolutely. And then, of course, take a listen to and take a watch of The Dance, which we'll be covering at some point. We will be covering at some point, because it's, as I said, in my opinion, it's the perfect live album. And I have a lot of sentimental feelings uh, attached to that album. But just wanted to do a quick history of, I guess, where where are they now? At one point, um, not too long ago, I think it was like two or three years ago, they kicked Lindsey Buckingham out of the band. And no one will say why. The closest that we've gotten to a reason is that he and Stevie Nicks got into another little tiff because all these year, years later, they still like to push each other's buttons. And Stevie Nicks essentially gave the band an ultimatum. She was like, it's either me or Lindsay. And the band was like, okay, it's Lindsay then. <laughs> and they kicked Lindsay Buckingham out of the band and made me so sad because they were about to go on tour again. And I really wanted to take um, my sister Emily to go see them live. And they ended up kicking Lindsay Buckingham out of the band. And I will say, this says how good of a guitarist Lindsay Buckingham is. They had to take two people to replace him two people had to replace lindsey buckingham that's how good of a guitarist he is and then lindsey buckingham had like a heart attack and it was recovering at home for a while and apparently like stevie nicks wrote him like a letter in response to that uh lindsey buckingham sued the band for uh unpaid royalties like essentially what was owed to him the tour that was going to happen or the tour that never finished with him in it. And unfortunately the volatile history of Fleetwood Mac 
continues. And that's, that's where things are right now. They've broken up and gotten back together so many times. I know a lot of people who I've talked to about this are like, oh, they'll get back together again. But I think they're too old. Yeah, I think they'll do it. I actually think they'll get back together. I think, yeah, I think they'll come to their senses and say, like, we still want to make money. We still want to be Fleetwood Mac. We can get over these things. It's not a big deal. I don't know. I don't know. I think they did it so many times before. Oh, I want to close out the podcast with this stellar quote from Stevie Nicks that sums up their relationship so well. Her and Lindsay Buckingham, she said in a 1990 interview in a magazine called Woman's Own, which I don't even think is around anymore. He and I were about as compatible as a boa constrictor and a rat. <laughs> it's such a great quote. And who is who? I would like to think that she was the boa constrictor and he was the rat. Maybe. And on that note. On that happy, happy note. That's episode three of Read Between the Tracks. That was our Read Between the Tracks read of rumors. Coming up next, Jeffrey and I are going to be examining another one of my favorite albums. And mine too. Billy Joel's The Stranger. I'm a huge Billy Joel fan, again, thanks to my dad. And the Stranger album is probably my all-time favorite Billy Joel album. And one of my, probably it's like my top 10. It's in my top 10 all-time favorite albums, period. So we'll be examining that next. And thank you all again so much for joining us on this fun Read Between the Tracks episode. And until next time. (music) 